0: Heavenly Father, we just once again pause in your presence. Lord, we say thank you for your Holy Spirit. We also also say thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would open us up to hear what you have to say today. You might be speaking some things today, Lord, that some have never heard before, or at least never heard in this way. But God, your your word and the depth of insight is unending. So, Lord, let us not be satisfied with our current level of understanding of your revelation. Lord, let us hear. Comprehend, receive, understand so that, Lord, our lives might go deeper and so that we might be you right here. That we might be your representation, that we might be who you want us to be and that the kingdom of heaven would come into our lives, into our homes, in our business places, into our community because you are in us. And you are making us to be like you, to show forth your image in your picture. Lord, help people come to know you by coming to know us. So help us today to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Oscar Wilde published his book, The Picture of Dorian Gray in 1891 it is the story of an incredibly attractive young man who had his portrait made and he lamented that while he would grow old the portrait would remain forever young and his beautiful young good looks would be preserved on the portrait but he would lose those looks and become an old man And he said, if only it were the other way around, for that, I would give my soul. And in the story, Dorian Gray made a deal with the devil. Dorian would stay young while the portrait would change. And the portrait would reveal the true nature of Dorian Gray's soul. As the years went by, Dorian Gray lived like the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15. He partook of every kind of sin and debauchery that you can imagine. And he stayed young and attractive. Dorian's worldview was that of many in our culture today. The worldview and the attitude that beauty and sensual pleasures are the only thing worth pursuing. In this life and while this took place that portrait changed the portrait changed what was originally a painting of a handsome young man became a picture of a monster because that's what Dorian Gray's soul truly was behind his youthful good looks that never faded and in the end of the story his lifestyle of pursuing pleasure left him empty he became so sick of himself that he killed the man who painted the portrait and he attempted to destroy the painting people who were in the house downstairs they heard the screaming coming from upstairs and they ran into the room and they found the painter dead they found the painting of dorian gray in its original form again now where he appeared young and beautiful but lying dead on the floor Was a crumpled, shriveled, old man they didn't recognize, but wearing the identification rings of Dorian Gray. Interestingly enough, the author of this story, Oscar Wilde, he married and he had two children. But outside of his family life, he lived a wild, promiscuous, and homosexual lifestyle, which was actually still against the law in England at the time he was convicted for gross indecency with other men he was sent to jail he suffered horrible consequences there in jail and he died at the young age of 46 it it seems like there was a little bit of autobiography in Dorian Gray's fictional in Oscar Wilde's fictional story of Dorian Gray And there's a quote that's often attributed to Oscar Wilde that says, the only way to get rid of a temptation is to yield to it. Didn't work out for him too well. I believe that God has painted a picture that even we have seldom really seen and appreciated. And because of humanity's pursuit of self-pleasure the picture that god painted is becoming even more disfigured and monstrous than the portrait of dorian gray see marriage marriage is a masterpiece that's been painted by god the master artist god's the painter and he's given us a portrait ephesians chapter 5 verses 31 and 32 says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh this is a profound mystery this is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church so this is not a series of teachings about marriage not in the sense that you might think so if you're here today and you'll say well i'm not married so i'll just check out or you might say well you know the church always does this you know i don't need to go to church on father's day because it's just gonna be a message about fathers and i'm not a father you know and Things didn't work out too well for my father. I'll just skip Father's Day or I'm not a mother and I've struggled. Maybe I haven't even, I've tried to become a mother, haven't been able to become a mother. And it's, it's hard for me, so I'm just not even going to go to church. I'm other saying we tend to, we tend to check out when we think it doesn't apply to us. These series of messages is not simply about marriage as you've thought about it typically, as you've known about it typically. So don't think Paul in that letter to Eph- Ephesians He goes through, before he gets to this verse, and he says, husbands, you need to do these things, wives, you need to do these things, but then he comes to the end of it, he says, but, 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 even though I just said husbands do these things and wives do these things, I'm not talking about your marriage. What? You've just said husbands do these things, wives do these things, and then you say, what what are you talking, it's a profound mystery, folks. It's a profound mystery, and what we're going to do is we're going to dig it out. So this is going to apply to you if you've never been married, if you are married, if you want to get married, if you once were married and you're not married anymore, because not only will it apply to you, it is about the marriage between Jesus and his church. So it applies to all of us, and the picture that we've been given involves the beautiful gift of sexuality that God has given us, which is becoming marred and disfigured in our culture today and it is not enough if you are a follower of jesus it is not enough for you to just say to people well that's wrong why is that wrong because the bible says so that's not enough they don't care there was a time where they would say oh the bible says that i need to consider that i need to think about it not anymore they don't so i don't care what the bible says how can we explain i want to give everyone who's a follower of christ i want to give you some tools Over the next several weeks so that you can explain to people why God says what he says why does God say what he says about human sexuality that is so the the biblical view the historic Christian view the historic view of the church for the last 2,000 years the world thinks it's nuts the world thinks it's crazy the world thinks it's stupid the world thinks it's restrictive and brothers and sisters are going around saying it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong why is it wrong because the Bible says so they don't care if you'll stay with me for the next several weeks yeah your marriage might get better that'd be awesome wouldn't it but you might understand the kind of relationship Jesus really wants to have with you as bridegroom and bride in a way you've never understood it before and you might be able to not just point fingers at people and say you're wrong but you might be able to what, do what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4. Speak the truth in love. Sit down with people who live a completely different lifestyle, believe a completely different lifestyle, have family members that are in a completely different lifestyle, people who, who proclaim to be followers of Jesus and yet they are not following this aspect. We're going to tell you why. Why God said what he said. Why the church has believed what it's believed about sexuality and marriage. so i say all that to say don't check out it's not just about marriage it's about so much more marriage is just the painting marriage is the picture i'm going to explain a picture and a painting to you it's painted by god to portray and reveal the kind of relationship that he wants to have with everybody Every, every, everybody. He painted this picture in the very beginning, and this has been his intent from the beginning. Now, I have heard many, many, many people teach about marriage. I have read many books about marriage, and the vast majority of them, I believe, miss the main point of God's purpose for marriage. It seems to me that in most teachings today, the main purpose of marriage and human sexual behavior is completely absent from the teaching. By the way, we're going to get into some really nitty gritty stuff today and even more in the weeks to come. But we're not going to get into anything the Bible doesn't get into. We're going to get into some stuff that you've never heard read in a Sunday morning service before. But it's in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. It's in the Bible. You see, one of the reasons why we've hated to touch this subject for so many years is because America was founded by people who came from the Puritan culture. And the Puritan culture said, just don't talk about a lot of this stuff. And so we basically basically said to some of the authors of the Bible and the Holy Spirit, shut up, don't bring that up on Sunday morning. Okay, these these pages right here, nope, can't do that. These pages, nope, it's Sunday morning. Nope, you can't read that. Come next week. It's really going to shock you next week. Just tell you. If you want want to bring people to church and they'll get really shocked, come next Sunday, okay, if you're not shocked enough today. You You see, we have been taught that marriage is a biblical way to release sexual desires. Got sexual desire, Paul said it's better to marry than to burn, so if you can't control yourself, just get married. So then you can, you can have sex legally and without guilt if you get married, right? That's what it's all about. That's been our minimal understanding. We're taught that marriage is for procreation, okay? It's better for kids to have a mother and a father. So marriage is to have, have guilt-free sex, and marriage is to, is to have babies and have them in a good home with a mother and father. And we're taught that marriage is between a man and a woman only why well because the bible says so that's why but but it's rarely explained why does the bible say that why is our view so weird to the world today we don't know that You see, the culture at large has rejected the biblical definition and practice of marriage and sexuality in part because we, the followers of Jesus, have not rightly and fully understood its purpose to be able to explain it to others. We have not understood it ourselves. To name any other arrangement or practice marriage other than the biblical definition is a rejection of what the Bible says. Now, I want to say this today as well. I don't hate anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not angry at anybody. These messages are not designed to condemn anybody. I want to tell you what the Bible says. Why the Bible says, see, a lot of people, even outside the church, never, been, they know what the Bible says. They've heard of what the Bible says. They know that Christians say <laughs> marriage between a man and a woman only in marriage. Yeah, those are weird people over there. But but we don't even know why the Bible says that. I just want to explain why. Okay? So for those who have a different viewpoint, live a different lifestyle, have been caught up in a different lifestyle, lived a different viewpoint, the purpose of these messages is not to condemn. It's to lovingly explain why the Bible says what it says, why the church has believed this for the last 2,000 years. And if the Holy Spirit brings loving conviction and knowledge, let that happen. But I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to hate. I'm not here to attack. I've got a paintbrush not a gun (laughs) but to name any other arrangement or practice marriage other than the biblical definition is a rejection of what the Bible says and the people who name other arrangements marriage, they know that they're rejecting what the Bible says, and it's fine with them, they don't care. The culture's rejection of the historic biblical view of marriage has happened, I believe. We say, oh, it's terrible, those people, they're, they're so awful, they're terrible, they're doing things and saying things and allowing things and encouraging things, it's terrible, guess what? It's our fault. They're doing all of that, and the culture's going the way it's going is because we have not understood it. And preachers have been scared to death to teach it and preach it and I don't mind telling you I'm a little nervous this morning myself because I don't know how everybody is going to receive it I've heard one very very prominent pastor say God gave women the gift of sexuality and God gave men the need for sex he said God gave women sexuality to glorify God through having children and pleasing your husband. There's some truth there. But then he said, quote, that's the only reason your sexuality exists. He's famous. He's a lot more well-known than me. His church is a lot bigger than me. He's got a great big, much more audience than me. But he missed it. He's missed it. And he's an example of the church propagating such a limited view of what this is all about. there is another reason why God gave us the gift of sexuality and it is a huge 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 reason it is the biggest reason of all it is found throughout the Bible all the way through the Bible though Paul called it a mystery it's a mystery it's a profound mystery it's something we have to dig deep and get revelation to understand so the first brushstroke the first brushstroke in God's great portrait of marriage begins with man being made in the image of God. Don't miss that part of it. Man was made in the image of God. Our marriages are intended to be an illustration of the relationship God wants with us. He made us in His image. It's a picture. We are the image of God. We're to show forth this picture in this painting. And I believe human sexuality in marriage is. The number one way God designed for us to show forth to the world who he is and what he's like and how he wants to love people so marriage as God describes it in the Bible is intended to be the greatest picture of the relationship that he wants with us that he wants with you John Piper wrote a book called this momentary marriage and in it he said God made us powerfully sexual so that he would be more deeply knowable We were given the power to know each other sexually so that we might have some hint of what it will be like to know Christ supremely. Therefore, all misuses of our sexuality, adultery, fornication, illicit fantasies, masturbation, pornography, homosexual behavior, rape, sexual child abuse, bestiality, exhibitionism, and so on, distort the true knowledge of God god means for human sexual life to be a pointer and a foretaste of our relationship with him here's something that's that's interesting as you get to thinking about this throughout the old testament god refers to himself as a male and you've probably heard some people today who wonder well why can't god be a female and they wonder why we shouldn't refer to God as our mother, as well as referring to him as our father. Why, why shouldn't we do that? Well, let me tell you something. You can refer to God however you please to refer to God. Refer to God however you want to refer to God. But if the Bible is the word of God, then the manner in which God chose to speak of himself was male. That's, that was his choice. Here's another thing that's interesting. God is not a male in the same sense that I'm a male just just because he Has revealed himself in the words of the scripture and he calls himself a father and he reveals himself in the and and he uses Pronouns we're gonna get into pronouns, okay God God on Twitter. It says he him. Okay, those those are God's pronouns He chose those pronouns for himself, but he's not a male like I'm a male He's not a male like Troy is a male. He's not a male like Eric is a male. He's not a male like the men in this room are male because God doesn't have a body. Right? So what's what's this talking about? In John chapter 4 it says God is a spirit. He He doesn't have a physical body. He's not limited to a physical body. So God does not have human male body parts the way the men in this room do so why did God refer to himself as a male he's painting a picture he's painting a picture throughout the Old Testament as God paints this picture he refers to Israel as what his bride in the Old Testament Israel is his bride and and who is God to them he's their husband it's a picture he's painting God says, I'm I'm your husband, and you're my bride. See, when Israel turned their back on him and they began to worship other gods, this is in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and all the way through the prophets, we find Israel turning their back on God and they begin to worship other gods, right? Baal, and Asherah, and Molech, and all these other false gods made up, created by man's own imagination. How how does God refer to their actions when they start worshiping other gods? All throughout the Old Testament. He calls it prostitution. God uses sexual language to describe what they're doing in their relationship with him. I'm your husband. You're my bride. Now you're worshiping other gods. That's prostitution. In fact, most of the gods the Israelites began to worship instead of God were the gods of the Canaanites. They are referred to as fertility gods. The people worshipped these gods, thinking that in doing so, they would be fertile. They would have many children. Their crops would be fertile. They would have great prosperity. And the worship of these gods involved sexual activity in their worship times. In fact, there was a great annual celebration. Can I tell you about it? big annual celebration the king of the land the king the king of the people would lead a parade and on his head he would wear the head of a bull it was a costume parade think Mardi Gras think Mardi Gras going on years and years and years ago by these nations surrounding Israel the king parades through wearing the head of a bull and every year a new virgin would be selected to ride along and march along with the king and she would wear the head of a cow or a calf see the king represented the god baal or baal however you want to pronounce it the virgin represented baal's goddess partner asherah asherah is a goddess that is often depicted in statues with an emphasis on her breasts and sexuality you don't have to look it up on your phones now, but you can Google it later. Asherah or Ashtaroth, and you'll see statues that are in, in uh, museums today. And sometimes they have up to just dozens and dozens of breasts all over. Big emphasis on sexuality for Baal and Asherah. And all the people would parade along, and the parade would culminate. The parade would end. The end of the parade route was at the temple of their god all the temple was called a ziggurat there was an inner room in the ziggurat the ziggurat looked like the the uh, temples down at the Mayans down in South America where they you know you know it's, it's a shame that Western civilization came in and corrupted the Mayan civilization they were a great 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 civilization and it's a shame that Western civilization came in and corrupted them I mean they took virgins up there and cut their hearts out and ate them and sacrificed them to their gods And yet we got people in our culture today that think, what a mess. We we messed them up. So the ziggurat looked like those pyramid temples. And it had an inner room. Interestingly enough, there was an inner room in God's temple too, wasn't there? It was called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And once once the king and the virgin every year ended that parade and got into the inner room of that ziggurat the king and the virgin would have sex and someone would be standing there to watch them and when the king and the virgin Culminated the sexual act, this watcher would turn out to the balcony and shout, Let Baal live! Let Baal live! And then all the people would throw off their clothes and there would be a mass orgy in the streets. It's what happened when Moses came down from the Ten Commandments and the people had fashioned the golden calf. That's what was going on. There was a celebration and throughout the year people would worship these gods and goddesses by going to the ziggurat and they would pay money to partake in a sacred vow so that they could receive a blessing and have sex with a temple prostitute. This is what God's talking about in the Old Testament when he's talking about they have gone to worship Baal and Asherah, false gods, and they have committed prostitution against me. They have cheated on me. They believe this was worship that will result in blessings upon them and their prosperity. And listen to this, listen to this. When Israel, when Israel began to worship these gods. They weren't just going out in the field and bowing down to some stupid statue. When Israel began to, whenever you read in the Old Testament that Israel began to worship these gods, the temple of God was turned into a ziggurat. That fantastic wonder of wonders, that beautiful facility built by Solomon, dedicated to the Lord, and the Shekinah glory of God came down and filled the house so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the presence of God. That place became a place of ritual Canaanite prostitution. And so imagine what happened in what was once the Holy of Holies. When it became the inner room of the ziggurat so so does that now give you an idea of why god referred to israel's sin as prostitution he was to be their husband they were to be his bride they were to be joined only to one another and god found his bride with another in their bedchamber so you see this picture this picture was a foundation and a pattern for the relationship that God would then reveal in the New Testament or the New Covenant these were the initial strokes of God's painting and it's a masterpiece it's a masterpiece imagine what would happen if you went to a great art museum and you're admiring all the fantastic works of art and and maybe you're in a section where there's Rembrandt's paintings and you're, you're just admiring the beauty and the style of Rembrandt's most beautiful paintings and yet yet as you observe the painting, you begin to think, "Ah, I could improve upon this painting. I could make this painting look better. You could paint something more beautiful than Rembrandt, something that would be more acceptable today, something that would give the message in modern taste." So, since you have modern sensibilities and taste, you take a can of spray paint, and you're in the great art museum, and you're up at Rembrandt's paintings. Oh, I can do better than. That. You start spray painting graffiti on Rembrandt's painting. Now, imagine Rembrandt walks up behind you while you're spray painting his painting. He's going to take his can out of your hand, and he's going to beat you over the head with it. Right? Because he created a masterpiece and you are running his masterpiece and that's what our culture is doing to sexuality and marriage today and the church is complicit in it when we don't understand and comprehend why God gave it to us as the picture of the kind of relationship he wants to have with everyone so marriage and sexuality is God's painting it's a tremendous masterpiece it depicts the kind of relationship that he wants to have with mankind when we make it into something other than what he painted we are destroying his masterpiece we are saying we can paint better than god often it's in ignorance so again not i'm not trying to condemn i'm trying to bring awareness i'm trying to bring information i'm trying to bring education and i'm praying that the holy spirit will do the work he needs to do in all of our bodies and all of our lives and all of our minds but when we make god's gift into something other than what he painted we are destroying his masterpiece I want to pause here and say he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves everybody. And I'm a sinner. And we're all sinners. So if you're sitting here this morning right now, you're feeling very isolated and very uncomfortable and very guilty. We're all sinners. We've all messed this up. None of us has lived out this perfectly in our lives. And he wants to, as we sang, he wants to set you free from shame. He wants to set you free from shame. He, he draws lines in the sand and he says the past doesn't matter anymore. When we ask forgiveness, he forgives, he forgets. He says the past doesn't matter anymore. And we look forward to the future living a new life. So, so let any feelings you have like that not be that God hates you and God rejects you. But he loves you and he's pulling himself to you. And he wants to do something greater in your life than you have ever experienced before. But we cannot paint better than God. And sometimes we've done it because the church hasn't taught. Pastors haven't taught. Some have never been told of the purpose of marriage and sexuality. If messing up a painting would bother Rembrandt, then I think I have to imagine how God would view us altering his masterpiece. So the pattern is that biblical marriage reveals how God desires to connect with people biblical marriage reveals how god desires to connect with people have you ever heard someone say to their spouse or someone they love very deeply i worship you if you haven't guys try it out it might help just saying but but do you realize that that is a perfect pattern for god's intent of our relationship with him have you ever thought listen to me now have you ever thought of marriage and sexuality as an act of worship sexual activity between a man and a woman within the holiness of marriage covenant is a picture of jesus the bridegroom entering into his bride and he leaves part of himself the apostle paul said he leaves the holy spirit as a deposit in us and what happens new life new life comes right Many people emphasize in their teaching that marriage is a covenant. That's true, and I'm going to explain that in more detail in just a few moments. But marriage and sex within marriage are both intended to be acts of worship. Worship. When we follow Jesus, we enter into a number of acts of worship that are sacred moments in these sacred moments we use common objects to portray powerful spiritual truths we use water you can get water anywhere we use water to portray baptism the death of the old man and the rising to new life of the new man we we have common elements here we got some bread we got some juice we're gonna take communion together in a few minutes we just the bread there's nothing special about it the juice there's nothing special about it but we use these common elements to reveal something deeper When we do this, it makes the invisible spiritual reality become visible for us. This is what marriage is like. This is why some people see marriage as a sacrament. It's one of the greatest sacred moments, so it's an act of worship. From the Christian, listen to me now, from the Christian viewpoint, who to marry is not an individual decision. If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, don't you think Jesus should have something to do with the decision? If our marriage is to reflect to the world the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us, then Jesus should be the one guiding us in the decision. We are not guided simply by our emotions and our desires, nor solely by what we like or what we dislike about another person, our preferences. Our culture today, even among those who claim to be followers of Jesus, we've made sexual relationships commonplace. We've made marriage an option. Why should we? Why should we still follow all the teachings of the Bible anyway? Is the Bible outdated? Are, are are we teaching something? Are we teaching something that would take us all the way back to the twentieth century? Many people would say, Yeah, yeah. A lot of people know what the Bible says, but they believe the Bible is outdated, that it no longer applies today to our culture. And whether one thinks the teaching of the Bible applies today or is outdated, I would like people to think about the question, why? Okay, even if you think the Bible is outdated and antiquated and its teachings no longer apply, ask yourself, why did it say that in the first place? Why did God say this in the first place? Why did he say it to the Israelites over thousands of years? Why has he said it to the church in the New Testament? Why? If the Bible says this, wouldn't it help us if we understood why the Bible says what it says? Why does the Bible hold the standard that it does? Well, for one reason, marriage is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. For another reason, God's picture of marriage is the masterpiece portrait of how he wants to relate to humanity how he wants to relate to you you see there are many 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 relationships in our lives but marriage is unlike any other relationship marriage is the most intimate relationship of human life now in our culture today divorce unfortunately has become commonplace and many people see marriage simply as a legal contract between two people if that's the case then why can't we make legal contracts between any two people regardless of their gender or previous relationship why why can't we just make this contract between any two people and why can't why can't we break that contract by provisions whenever we choose to by provisions of the law see in the biblical view marriage is more than a contract marriage is a covenant well, pastor, what's the difference between the contracts today? They call them covenants then. We call them contracts today. What's the difference? Well, the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Bible describes a covenant as two parties making a solemn agreement between them. What did the two parties do when they came together to make a covenant? If I'm going to make a covenant with you in the Old Covenant, if we're going to come to an agreement, we're going to make a solemn agreement together. We're going to agree that we're both going to have responsibilities in this agreement. I'm going to bring an animal. And you're going to bring an animal. It's a little different than going down to the courthouse and borrowing their pen to sign on a piece of paper. I bring an animal. You bring an animal. And we cut that animal in two. This way. And my animal is laid out. And your animal is laid out. And when I say I'm agreeing to this covenant with you, I start walking. And i walk through the river of blood and i splatter that blood on my feet and my sandals and my robe and then you walk through that you walk through those two animals and you walk through the blood and you spatter the blood why did they do that why couldn't they have just Sign their name on a contract like we do today. See, by this action, when they sealed a covenant that way, they were saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I violate the terms of this covenant. That's what it was about. A little bit stronger than our contracts today, isn't it? So it does seem to make a covenant much more serious and much more binding. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. God asks Abraham, and all those who would be in a relationship with God under the old covenant to bind themselves to this covenant with God by marking their bodies it's gonna get good now it's gonna get good what was the sign of the covenant that Abraham And all of his children abraham isaac jacob name changed to israel all the children of israel all the people all the jewish people what was the sign that's important what was the sign of the covenant circumcision that's a weird word we study romans and galatians in the new testament that circumcision thing keeps coming up over and over and over again We know what circumcision is, we do it, it's done in the hospitals, we have baby boys, and they do the circumcision. It's supposed to be more healthy, right? It's supposed to stop infections, right? But why in the world would God say, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham, and I'm going to make a covenant with all your children and your children's children and all your descendants, and the sign of my covenant is not going to be animals laying on the floor and me walking, spattering blood through the animals. The sign is going to be circumcision and Abraham's 99 years old and God tells Abraham here's what you got to do now for you and all your children to be in a relationship here's what you got to do you got to have that part of your body cut 99 year Abraham's going what <laughs> you, 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 you. Flint knives weren't too sharp back in the day either, you know. Wasn't a whole lot of sterilization going on. 99-year-old lady, you, you, you want me to do what? And, and you, want me, you want me to try to convince all the men who live in this camp with me? Yeah, you want me to convince them to do that? God, what are you talking about? Good question. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? The Bible tells us that's exactly what Abraham did. It was a sign of blood. The foreskin of the penis is cut off as a sign of blood that they were in a right relationship with God. And anybody who was outside the family of Abraham, if they want a relationship in the Old Testament with the one true God, they had to be circumcised, they had to cut themselves, they had to shed blood. I had to believe. What about the women, pastor? Well, well. God bless you ladies. You could be considered to be in a right relationship with God if your father or your husband had entered into the covenant through circumcision. <laughs> you got off pretty good there, didn't you? Huh? Again, why? 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 We haven't thought about this, have we? Yeah, circumcision is this thing those Jews had to do, and then Paul writes to the Romans and Galatians, say they don't have to do that anymore, blah, blah, blah. Why? Why such a weird strange thing that God asked you want us to shed blood God you want us to shed blood okay I got a pocket knife Dave come let's just let's just nick our thumbs a little bit and put our thumbs together and say we're blood brothers now that's good God can't that be good enough I'd pass out anyway I mean I, I get I get fainty when my wife's pricking her fingers to check her blood every morning thank God if I don't have diabetes if I did I don't know what I would do I I just Can't can't we just nick ourselves, God, and hold it up and be blood brothers? Why? Why do we have to be cut there? Remember, the Bible's teaching of marriage and sexuality. The whole thing. It's not random. It's not accidental. The entire thing. This is only the beginning today. The entire thing is a masterpiece painting of the relationship That God desires between Himself and every person. Every person. All of us. Remember also that marriage is worship, not just a temporary contract between two people signed at the courthouse. Circumcision in the Old Covenant is another brushstroke in this painting, it's a part of the picture. So listen to me now. You're going to think I'm weird. You're going to think this is so weird. Isn't it the part of the man's body that is cut and required to bleed in order to be in that old covenant with God? Isn't the part of the man's body that is cut and required to bleed, isn't that the part that enters into a woman in the act of sexual intercourse? You think that's a mistake? It's not. And again, according to the Bible, it's only to happen in marriage. Why? Because it's a covenant. It's all about a covenant, covenant of blood. So this part... Of the husband's body enters into his bride in an act that is intended to be an expression of great love. Guys, it's not something you are due. And by this act, when the part of the man that was cut and bled enters into the woman, he leaves part of himself in her. He leaves part of his life in her, part of his very essence in her. And what happens? Oftentimes, new life happens. New birth happens. You see, this is another beautiful brushstroke of God's masterpiece. Okay, here's where you're going to think I'm weird, but this is true, folks. There's God the Father. There's God the Son. And there's God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the part of God. That was cut. And bled. And he enters into us. And he leaves part of himself in us and he creates new life in and through us and jesus came to initiate a new covenant the new covenant god makes with us is through jesus blood so no longer are we required to shed our own blood jesus paid the price jesus bled so how do we come into a relationship with god through Jesus the one who bled and enters into us we invite Jesus to enter into us as a bride to her husband and we open ourselves up and we yield ourselves to Christ and Jesus enters into us and he leaves his Holy Spirit within us as a deposit giving us new life so when a husband makes love to his wife he's the picture of Jesus loving his church Entering into people becoming one with them giving their new life when a woman receives her husband into herself She allows him to leave part of himself in her thus creating unity between them and new life She is the picture of the church receiving jesus and receiving his spirit And we allow jesus to become one with us and god never forces himself God never forces himself on anyone who will not willingly receive him in the covenant It's totally willing and it's a covenant So, if this is the first time that you've ever thought of sexuality in this way, you might think, boy, this is weird. Pastor's a kook. You might think I'm crazy. But if you look throughout the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, we gloss over this stuff and we skip over it and we've read it before and we don't really understand it, we don't comprehend it. This is what it's about. This is the picture that's drawn for us and it's drawn for us by God. This is why. This is the why. This is the why. This is why the act of sexual intercourse God designed to only take place within a marriage. That's why it's a man and a woman inside a covenant. If you've got a man and a woman outside of a covenant, you don't have the picture, do you? If you've got two men, you can't have the picture. If you've got two women, you can't have the picture. Any sexual activity without a covenant of marriage is not showing the picture God intended to show whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, and only heterosexual relationships within marriage can possibly reveal this picture that God designed to reveal the kind of relationship he wants to have with us. As a male husband, he referred to himself in that way, entering into his female bride. So if heterosexual intercourse takes place and there's no marriage between the man and the woman, God's masterpiece is disordered. It's not the picture that God painted because what he painted is the sign of the covenant between him and us. Circumcision was a sign, a sign foretelling portending something that is to come if we don't have the covenant we're not showing the picture God designed to show and the scriptures clearly teach that there is only one way to God and that's through Jesus Christ John chapter 14 verse 6 Jesus told him I am the way the truth and the life no one can come to the Father except through me Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So when we receive this bloody one into us, he leaves his Holy Spirit in us, and we have new life in a new covenant. So if we have multiple sexual partners outside of a covenant relationship, that doesn't give us the picture of a one relationship with God, does it? If we see sexual relationships in that way, multiple partners is a picture that there's many roads to God, many ways to God, many gods, not one way, not one way, not one. This is why it's exclusive. This is why it's not just random, willy-nilly, recreational sex with anyone, anywhere you want, because that's not a picture of an exclusive relationship to God through one husband, Jesus Christ. It's a wrong practice because it's the wrong message doesn't show the picture God wanted to show if sexual activity takes place between two men or between two women again don't hate anybody I'm not beating anybody up I'm just explaining why the Bible says what it says if sexual activity takes place between two men or between two women there's no way anybody could ever see the picture of God because he spoke of himself as a husband right spoke of Israel as the bride spoke of Jesus as the bridegroom spoke of the church as the bride To create new life without a male and a female in covenant the picture is not only distorted it's destroyed that's the why and the Bible says God hates divorce he doesn't hate people who've been divorced he doesn't hate people who've been divorced why does he hate divorce because it messes up the picture It just messes up the picture that he painted. You're not going to see that God has an undying, never-ending love for you if we don't show that to the world in our relationships. It destroys the picture. God is not, listen to me, God is not opposed to heterosexual relationships outside of marriage or homosexual activity because he is somehow disgusted by the behavior. No. He painted a picture. He painted a picture. And he's opposed to any sexual activity outside the marriage between a man and a woman because it destroys the picture. It spray paints the masterpiece. It really is kind of simple when you think of it this way, isn't it? So, do you see that God's painted a picture? Our relationships, and in particular, sexuality in marriage, is the paint of God's picture. It's the paint. To use it any other way destroys God's intended picture. So I'd close today by asking you this Do you want to become one with Jesus? Today's the day He's proposing. He gets down and He has His gift and He says, Will you? Will you become one with me? And he wants to post the videos on Facebook to say, She she. said yes! She said yes! Come on, we're not on Sunset Beach right now. But God's proposing. I want to be one with you. And I was cut, and I bled, and I gave my life so that we could enter into an exclusive covenant where I come into you and I put my life in you. Let's bow our heads together. <coughs> Nobody move right now. This is a sacred moment. Let me, let me say this very clearly. It doesn't matter how you've messed up the picture. We've all messed up the picture. We've all messed up the picture. It, it can be as simply as... Arguing and yelling and screaming and demanding. You know, maybe, maybe you've never had sex outside of marriage. Maybe you've waited till you were married to have sex. Maybe you've been faithful to your wife in a heterosexual marriage. And you think everybody else is messed up. No, we're all messed up. And we've made demands on one another. And we've gotten angry with one another. And men have not acted like Jesus to their wives. And wives have not acted like the church to Jesus. We've all messed it up. But can I tell you something? Jesus came to fix it. He came to fix it he came to fix all of us he loves you and he wants to fix your picture and he wants to fix you this is not a message of condemnation there may be some correction that's not a bad thing there may be some conviction but this message is not meant to condemn jesus loves you just as you are and you're going to see that more and more and more you're going to see his overwhelming love and passionate love as this series continues there is no perfect bride there is no perfect person no matter how far you are from this picture he wants you he wants you to be part of the bride he forgives he cleanses he restores purity he wants you and no matter how much your life today might be like dorian gray's he wants you and he's proposing. Father heaven come speak. Come speak to us today Lord. And let us respond as you would have us to respond. <coughs> Let's stand together. And I am, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask for a response. And there's no need for shame. He wants to take the shame off of you. He wants to deliver from shame. He wants to deliver from guilt. And you might say, Pastor, I don't know if I really want to change my life and live this way or not. Maybe you're here and you'd say that. It's all right. Just keep coming. Just keep coming back and listening and weigh what is said. But maybe there's there's some here today. And he's proposing a new relationship to you. You want to receive that new relationship. I want to invite you to come forward. Nope. Nobody's looking at you with judgment or guilt. We receive you as Jesus receives you. And maybe there's some who you've messed up the picture. You've tried. You've done your best. You know you've messed it up. It's been messed up for you. You know, one thing about a great master artist is... When paintings get messed up, they, they take a little thing like a scalpel, you know, and they, they take off the stuff that's not supposed to be there. And They pick up a brush, and they start to restore. They restore paintings that are thousands of years old. They take off the mold. They take off the dirt that's accumulated over the years. They take off somebody who painted something on top of it. And they take some brushes and they restore the painting to its original picture. And maybe some of you are here today and you've, you've been a follower of Jesus, but, but you, you need some restoration work done. There's been some mold and there's been some dirt and there's been some age through the years, and maybe you've even tried to tried to repaint God's picture. He wants to restore. He wants to restore. And maybe some of you today are beginning to hear some of these truths in this way for the very first time. And you just want to come and say, Lord, I want to understand more. I want to know more. So that my marriage or my relationships, all of my relationships will reflect the picture that you want. So that's the call today. And I ask you to come. There might be someone who comes alongside you and just lays a hand on your shoulder. You don't have to share anything with them if you don't want to. You can share if you do want to. It doesn't matter. But we just want to come and bless what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. So today, if you want to accept the proposal and say yes to Jesus, I want to be in your bride. I want to be in your bride. No matter what you've thought before, no matter how you lived before, no matter what you've done, I want to be your bride. I want you to come. And Maybe you're here and you need some restoration to take place. You need some healing to take place. You might need a scalpel to take off some of the excess junk and have Jesus restore some things in your life. I want you to come, and maybe you're here today, and you'd say, I want to learn more, and I want my marriage and my relationships to reflect the picture Jesus wants. Just step out and come right now. We're going to share communion in just a moment, but let's let's respond to the Holy Spirit right now. Just step out and come. you lord prayer team and small group leaders just come and begin to pray with these as they come we want to give time for the holy spirit to work today we're not going to manipulate or twist arms or try to make something happen just give an invitation and an opportunity Maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with your life in a way that I haven't addressed. We want you to come and receive prayer as well. Maybe maybe that word that came to me in the worship time, worship practice this morning during the song, He wants to lift the shame off of you. He wants to lift shame. I believe that's a word from the Lord today. He wants to lift shame. Come. Come. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, do your work. Father, do your work. Don't feel led to come at this point. Just where you're at, just surrender. Just surrender to the Lord. And send your prayers to the Lord on behalf of these that have come today. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Just lift your voice in prayer and worship. Surrender. An intercession. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord. Let's just return his love to us. I believe he's shown us today how much he loves us. He's beginning, he's beginning to give us new revelation, new understanding of the greatness and the depth of his love for us. So let's worship him. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together today. You do not have to be an official member here. If you're part of the body of Christ, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. We are one. We are one with him, and we want worship the lord in this way pastor chris would you take the bread and pass it and david and tommy would you come and take the trays of juice and begin to pass them and just hold on to the bread and to the juice until everyone has been served and we'll take the lord's supper together more in the weeks to come, but the picture of God and Jesus being our bridegroom and us being the bride, that is not, that is not a picture of our marriages. It's the other way around. Our marriages are temporary to this world. They're the picture of the permanent and ultimate marriage and ultimate relationship. So what we have in marriage and how God has designed it to be, all of it, every detail of it. a picture of the relationship he wants to have with us so we take his body into us we are the bride he's our husband this is our covenant we take his body into us and he leaves his Holy Spirit in us and every time we take the Lord's Supper we are reunited and reigniting restoring and renewing the ultimate covenant our covenant with him so lord we thank you today for this wisdom and knowledge that comes from your word we thank you for this revelation of your great love and your desire to be one with us your desire to give to us your desire to pour into us we not only want to reflect that picture lord but right now we we receive you into us We receive the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in us. We want to be one with you, Lord. We want to reflect you everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, let's partake of the bread. Hallelujah. His blood was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's take the cup together. Us go today, not just in new knowledge, but in new relationship and new life and new power. And Lord, what you have taken off of us today, don't let anyone, including ourselves, put back on. We receive your forgiveness, we receive your freedom. We want to walk in depth in this relationship in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, each one. There are books out there on a table. They are not for sale. You can have one if you want them. You'll be hearing a lot more about this in the next few weeks. But those books out there, if you like to read the mystery and the masterpiece, those are available to you. You can also get them on Amazon Kindle. You can also get it on Audible and have somebody I don't even know who will read it to you. You can get hard copies on Amazon still as well.
1: So God bless you. Have a great day. Go.